Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast on location from the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in sunny San Diego. I'm Dr. Natasha Clark, and I will be your host for the last of these special recordings, sharing our conference highlights with three fantastic early career researchers. Today, we're going to cover the fourth day of the conference, but before we start, let's make some introductions. So for those who don't know me, I'm a postdoc in Pierre Belec's lab at the Institut Universitaire de Geriatrie de Montréal, where I research functional connectivity as a biomarker in Alzheimer's disease and other disorders, as well as work on my French accent. My background is in psychology and machine learning, and so let's move on to our brilliant guests. I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Diana Karamakushka, Anquasia Murray, and Dr. Richard Lofthouse. Hi, everyone. Hi. So, Diana, tell us about yourself. Hello, hello. So, I'm Diana Karamakushka from Western Sydney University in Australia. I'm also a postdoc. I'm actually the first person in my family to go to university. So it's a huge achievement um, for the Karamakoskas. Um, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist by trade. That's what I did my PhD studies in. And now my postdoc work focuses more on public health initiatives to raise awareness about dementia and how to look after your brain as you get older. Fantastic. And Quasha, how about you? Hi, my name is Anquasia Murray. I'm a third year PhD student in biology at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. My background is in microbiology and immunology, but I actually joined a biophysics biochemistry lab. Not quite sure how that happened, but um, I'm looking at protein-protein interactions in Alzheimer's disease and neuroinflammation. Cool. And I think you also have a role in iStart? Yes, I am also the communications chair for the PIA to elevate early career researchers. Awesome. Um, Richard, last but not least. Sure. So, hi, I'm Richie Lofthouse. I'm a, I just finished my PhD up in uh, the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, I'm researching biomarkers, specifically looking at tau protein. Uh, and I've escaped the cold northeast of Scotland to come to San, uh, sunny San Diego for the week. I'm really enjoying it so far. It's been amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. We were saying earlier, we've got a nice array of accents around the table today. <laughs> Um, So as we record this, it's almost the end of day on Wednesday and we've only got tomorrow morning left to go. So are you all sticking around until then? Are you conferenced out? It's been quite an intense week. (laughs) Yes, it has been um, very eventful though. And um, I'm leaving tomorrow at about one after checking out some museums and listening to a few of the sessions online. Sounds good. Yeah, so I've been here, I came for the pre-conference as well, so I've been here, it'll be eight days in total, so it's been a total whirlwind, Uh, but going to stick around for tomorrow as well, and then, as Akisha said, check out some of the museums and then head on home. Yeah, likewise um, with uh, Richard and and Quasia here, Um, I'll be leaving on Friday um, and I'm sticking around for a session tomorrow looking at patient and public uh, involvement in research. So that'll be really exciting. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I'm really excited for the session tomorrow on um, psychosis and neurology. Um, but like Anquasha, you were saying, I'm also going to look back at some of the talks online, I think next week, once I've caught up on sleep a bit. So actually, it's really cool that we have access to those. Um, 
Okay, and, and have any of you been presenting today or at the conference and how did that go? Do you want to go first, Diana? Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you. I presented a poster just uh, the other day and I was um, presenting on some work we've been doing with local governments in Western Sydney, looking at the challenges and opportunities that they face in designing supportive and uh, physically enabling environments for people with dementia. Um, I don't know how in, into detail you want me to go with this. But so what are some <laughs> of those challenges? I mean, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So at this stage, we don't really have any state, uh, state level policies that encourage uh, designs for dementia. Um, so that refers to um, being conscious of what kind of cognitive or sensory issues can impact people's functioning, mobility, um, and their engagement with their environments. So because of that, we've got a lack of action happening at the local level in our cities. Um, and so I've come in to address those issues. We've got a lot of people who are interested in finding out how they can better support and plan for the amount of people that live with dementia in the region. Um, and what we've heard from our uh, workshop participants is that um, they need more education and training on, you know, what kind of resources, what kind of actions need to be um, put into place. Um, they like collaborating with the universities on that kind of information and, and services, and they really need the academic institutions to advocate to the state governments or federal governments to actually um, put into uh, action or, or place these uh, policies that are going to support them. Wow. And so what's the next step for that piece of work? Yeah, great question. Um, we are already talking about setting up an education program that's going to touch on all levels of government and community, including businesses. So any uh, touch point for people with dementia, um, we are trying to encourage people to be more aware um, and uh, be more inclusive of people with dementia, their needs, as well as their carers and families who may, may find it hard to go out and about with them. Hmm. It sounds a bit like um, there's something in the UK called the Dementia Friends Programme. I don't know if you've heard of that. Where we have it. Uh, oh, brilliant. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, we are basing our education initiatives on the Dementia Friends Programme. Um, and we are delivering it in multiple languages. So we're going to be touching on a lot of English and non-English speaking communities um, who are quite disadvantaged in our area. Mm. Yeah, that's particularly impressive because I went to a, a few sessions today on kind of cross-cultural limitations and language particularly being a real issue. So yeah, that, yeah that's absolutely. Really cool. Um, just on that as well, I did see a lot of posters, not enough sessions, I'm going to put this out there, a lot of posters talking about recruitment challenges, but also strategies to boost recruitment with um, minoritized populations or people from um, diverse backgrounds. Um, and it's so fantastic to see the incredible work that's being done on the ground to foster those relationships. Mm. Maybe next year we'll see some more talks on those as well yeah that would be great yeah and and Quasha, how was your poster yeah i also presented a poster on my project titled a structural basis and mechanism of cyclophilin a tau interactions and alzheimer's disease and neuroinflammation and it was uh great to present it was definitely good practice for me being that i'm just now entering my third year of my PhD studies and being able to talk about my project and communicate it with people that have come from diverse uh, educational backgrounds. So some are more familiar with neuroinflammation and some I really had to break it down, which was a good exercise for me. 
And I think being on the floor and seeing other posters were useful as well because the talks are great, be, uh, but they're 10 minutes and it's a lot of information in that 10 minutes. So I'm very happy they're recorded. But with the posters, you're able to just walk around and talk to the people that have their posters up and ask questions just one-on-one. -on -one, and it was a nice learning experience. That's so true. I think I get some of the best interactions from people at their posters yeah. actually being able to really ask in-depth questions and understand mm -hmm. so yeah that's really great and how about you Richard? Uh, so I wasn't actually presenting this week this is my first big sort of international conference so I've just been here to soak it all up and experience it and it's been as I said before just an absolute whirlwind took a few days to sort of get used to but I think so I'm a bench scientist by trade so my favorite thing throughout the conference has been speaking to people who are patient facing. So as a bench scientist, it's really easy to sort of, you sit there and you have a group of plasma samples, they're all numbered, you know nothing about the people who have provided these samples, which we're so grateful for. Um, but to see and discuss with people who are at the forefront of the patient interaction thing is, it really reframes why this work is so important. And that's been absolutely one of the best things about it so far, definitely. Totally. Yeah, I love the connections between the different disciplines. Um, you really get to see what's happening from like bench to the real world um, application. To bench to bedside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so next order of business. For those who are new to the format of these shows, we really just go around and talk about our best bits of the day. So as I'm hosting, I'll share one of mine first. So I attended the Ask Q&A today with Margot Cushell and Francisco Lopera, who both presented fantastic plenaries yesterday. Um, but I really like these Ask sessions because I think you just get a much more kind of intimate exposure to people's research and some of the questions that come up are really fascinating um, but today someone asked about careers advice and I really loved Dr Cushel's answer so I thought I'd just share that which was that uh, ECRs should try and work on what keeps them up at night so the problems that they're concerned about and she said that was because days are long and research is hard so you need that motivation but also if you're concerned about it it's probably important and even if other people haven't thought of it or they might not necessarily agree with you the fact that you think it is uh, means that you should try and try and work on that that's wonderful uh, advice mm -hmm. I thought yeah. so yeah so I thought I'd just share that that nugget um so what's been everyone's highlights today uh Diana should we start with you sure uh I was at the Pop-Up Academy, which is a workshop that we host for early career researchers and also graduate students. Um, we had a session on career transitions and it was set up in a really cool way. So we had one table that was looking at transitioning between um, institutions, uh, particularly when you're traveling across countries. Um, and we had another table looking at the transition between academia and industry. And then the third table was um, talking about the art of negotiation. So when you're transitioning, you know, between those pay scales, it was fascinating. I particularly like the art of negotiation because I feel like I've learned a lot of insider secrets. I mean, that is not usually something that we, we are taught about in academia. So I think that's a really Absolutely. great Especially, especially teaching women the art of negotiation mm. and to be confident enough to really 
uh, vouch for themselves and make those arguments and understand their value and worth that they'll bring to the company. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And we really had that from the two mentors who were at this table. One of them uh, was explaining how she felt really nervous and um, to the point where she felt sick, you know, asking for what she was asking. Um, and the other one had a different experience. She kind of um, recognized her value and her contribution to that particular institution. So she was able to argue. I mean, both of them argued very well to get what they deserved and were after. Um, but it was you know, fascinating to hear about how they had to navigate that system. Mm. Yeah, and serendipitously, myself and Quisha were also at that event today. Yeah. And um, one of the things I really took away from that was that it's not necessarily a case of leaving academia for industry anymore, because that's something you hear a lot. You know, you see people on Twitter announcing that they're leaving academia and things. But actually, um, we were talking about the fact that you can more easily go between the two. You can go to industry. You can come back to academia, and you will always take different skills from both that will make you valuable in both of those um, kind of uh, capacities. So that was really, really great to talk about. Yeah, and that's not something I think I realized you could do. I always thought like once you left academia for industry, you just kind of stayed in that workspace and you wouldn't necessarily go back or even want to go back. But to know that her experience in particular was very fluid and she was able to take the skills she learned in industry and bring it back to academia and have a different mindset when it was uh, talking about attacking a project or even her mentoring strategy. It was very interesting to hear. That is really Mm -hmm. great. I think we have uh, a different take on it in Australia we tend to hear that you know once you leave academia coming back is just not an option Mm. but I'm sure we'll catch up. (laughs) Richard what was your highlight from today? Well just that conversation you were having there um, I sort of alluded to my highlight um, uh, before in the previous conversation but I was just thinking there how many inspirational uh, women have been leading sessions as role models for it's diff- I don't want to comment too much as a, a male but from the outside looking in there's been some amazing talks that even I have found really inspiring and I guess it and just the number of sort of younger female ECRs I've seen giving amazing talks rocking it at the posters has been a highlight that just popped into my mind just there it's been really really great I've really um, noticed that as well and think yeah comment on it as a man yeah. definitely you know yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, reason yeah. So that you shouldn't things you never you don't know if you should comment or not, but no, uh, represent. No, definitely. lift it's, us it, up. Yeah. Yeah. We need <laughs> it. We want it. Yeah, I've noticed, I've been in quite a few talks that are, I don't know if people have heard of the term manal, like a panel made up of all men, which mm. used to be, you know, the norm. And I've seen a lot of the opposite of manals, mm. I, a, a fanal female. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, any other highlights? Any talks? Uh, so I went to a session today there's been so much great biomarker research on show at the conference mm. um, that I've sort of been biomarkered out almost. Uh, <laughs> so I've been trying to diversify and go uh, to some other talks. So there was one really interesting one looking at polygenic risk scores for Alzheimer's disease. So rather than the, the key risk factors, so age or uh, genetics such as APOE, looking at combined risk factors of other smaller things that accumulate together to make a risk score on their own and there's some amazing work going on that and combining that with the biomarker research on that is 
going along on site and they seem to be really synergistic. So again, just looking at like interdisciplinary um, combinations has been really good. Um, also one just there on TBI, so traumatic brain injury. Uh, as an ex-rugby player, it's something that has been hmm. eye-opening, certainly. Um, that was something I found really interesting too, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of um, yeah more collaborative research exactly, uh, that you can see. It. Yeah, a whole sessions on neuroimaging and genetics, which is yeah really really interesting. Yeah. I love that we're moving towards this in in dementia research. Uh, I've seen a lot of stuff on precision medicine and really looking at the individual and how we can tailor medicines or therapeutics or interventions um, to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And Quasia, what's been your highlights? I think my highlight had to actually be the student and postdoc workshops. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of leading the How to Run an Eco-Friendly Lab workshop, and that was a great experience. And then returning today uh, for Diana's session that she led was great because being at the industry table, I feel like it's great to have the conversation. Sometimes in institutions, your PI or other uh, leaders in the lab may not want to talk to you about industry or quote unquote alternative careers. So being in a a safe space to openly talk about it and uh, just discuss the differences, what can potentially be the pro, what can potentially be a con was very um, insightful. And also there was a few sessions that I attended online that I was able to listen to and although it's their 10 minute sessions and it's very hard to follow all of it, it as an early career researcher and being new in the lab it did open my mind up to certain avenues i can start looking into specifically for like tau mediated pathologies and then they also have one to alter uh, glial function and it was very insightful to see like okay maybe i can move my project in this direction or use this new technique to do imaging and to look at uh, neuroinflammation. So just all in all, the sessions for today was pretty great. Awesome. And just because I saw in the program about the eco-friendly mm-hmm. lab and I, w- could you just say a bit more about what that really means? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, so I'm not a climate change expert and I put that in uh, to my presentation at the beginning. Like, don't go back to your lab and say, this is all Anquasia said I needed to do to be up to date. <laughs> and I don't have all the answers, but it was a very like diverse group in terms of the knowledge that we were bringing to it. And one thing that was brought up, so running the eco-friendly lab, the context of it basically was what can we do in order to minimize uh, plastic waste, uh, conserve energy, and reduce water use. So those were the key things. And then in doing so, how can we hold labs responsible to maintain this and be consistent and be transparent? What uh, systems can we put in place to help uh, labs that maybe are more progressed in being eco-friendly or have a climate change Uh, action plan versus other institutions that are further behind or maybe don't have the funding to necessarily upgrade all of their systems. So it was a insightful session and one difference that was brought up that I didn't previously think about is the fact that I work in a wet lab and what it may look like for me to be more eco-friendly is very easy. Maybe order from different suppliers that have sustainable packaging or um, making sure the tap is faucet is turned off. Can we uh, reuse that plastic tip box every time we uh, need tips again? But then other people in the group, they were in uh, more like 
it was like exercise imaging. If you're listening to this, I hope I didn't say that wrong. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and they were like, I'm not sure what we can do to be more eco-friendly because we use the same equipment, we sterilize it, and that's it. So how could we necessarily play a part in this movement? But one thing they did mention was that the labs upstairs from them are wet labs. So bringing the, what they learned from the session back to those labs and seeing if they can educate them and potentially get them in a program to run a more sustainable, eco-friendly lab. That's fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, my field is more sort of computer science and I know there's a lot of concern and discussion about the impact of that on the environment in terms of you know, energy consumption for yeah. deep learning models and things like that. And so I didn't know that wet labs had their own kind of issues yeah. and, and sounds like solutions as well that people are coming up with. Yeah, and that was definitely something I didn't think about just coming from a wet lab background. I'm like, I throw away a lot of tips every day. I use a lot of gloves every day. And, and they were like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> that sounds great that you're doing that, but we're not sure how we can help. And that was another question is if you are in a computational lab, is there really anything you can do to minimize that energy use? Maybe not because you needed to graduate. So it was just a lot of questions that were left unanswered, but at least we got the conversation started, yeah. which was great. It's definitely something I need to learn more about that I'm interested in. You could follow up on that at next year's conference. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, I think that one of the things that struck me about AIC this year, I don't know if you've all been before, but there has been so many great sessions outside of the talks and the plenaries you know obviously they're fantastic but the careers advice these kind of uh, workshops and things really valuable for ECRs in particular yeah just networking in general has been amazing so I came I'm the only uh, person from my lab here so I came first AAC not knowing anybody at all I've made so many new connections I've got so many new ideas and uh, potential collaborations already off the back so that's great. Do you have any tips for anyone else? Uh, you know, cause that's, that's it's quite intimidating to coming to. It's a huge conference for people who you know haven't been here, and uh, it can be quite intimidating knowing how to meet people and network and things. Yeah, um, certainly. Even I was. Uh, it's it's scary putting yourself out there, um, mm -hmm. but I think just go for it would be my number one tip. If you if you've followed someone, so I've been speaking to people who I've cited multiple times in my thesis that I wrote and it's a really easy icebreaker to be like oh I cited you umpteen times in my thesis and nobody's going to be sad right. that you've done <laughs> yeah. that so that's a really great icebreaker um, but check out the you know all the abstracts go up beforehand so you can look through and find where people's posters are going to be um, and yeah just you have to just go for it would be my advice it's scary but every time you do it it gets easier yeah, and I'm in the same boat. This is my first conference, or AIC conference, I should say, and I came here by myself. And I learned a lot being that it was like my first ice break. One is even with presenting a poster, I presented my poster and walking around to the other posters and hearing how they present theirs, I was like, I really like that. I'm going to do that like next year. So it was a good learning experience for things I can change. And also um, I realized 
for the next time I attend the AIC conference, looking at those abstracts, as you mentioned beforehand. So then when I'm here and I have a chance to talk to these people, I have like a game plan and I already have that conversation starter. And also there's a, a lot of events that goes on in one day. And I didn't realize that, you know, maybe the day night before I should plan out the day. So I know and I'm uh, making it to everything I want to make it to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I felt like Sunday, which was the first day, I'd almost, it was my first in-person conference since COVID, which in itself was quite strange. And I'd kind of forgotten how you do it. And mm-hmm. I just didn't make a plan and I wandered around and I felt really overwhelmed and things. And then Monday I was like, okay, I need a plan. And uh, it was much more fruitful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've kind of covered some of this, but uh, does anyone have any other highlights from the whole conference that they wanted to share? Oh, yeah. Um this is so off topic, but I, I got really excited about the um, 3D printing that was happening around the coffee machines. Oh my gosh, so me too. Let, okay, can we just ad- address the fact that we have pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies who've like come up with these amazing advertising techniques to really pull people in. Mm-hmm. Um, you go in, you order your coffee and you can um, get your picture or photo 3D printed onto your coffee. So I got my dog, um, but it's such a good way to, yeah strike up conversations even with people who are in the line um yeah just the technology life science didn't know it needed right yeah exactly <laughs> i got ada loveless printed printed on mine <laughs> who uh for people who don't know was um kind of the the first woman to invent the computer program so um yeah nice. <laughs> uh, any other highlights anyone wanted to mention the receptions have been nice. Oh, there's been so much dancing. You know. <laughs> yeah, so much dancing and socializing. And I consider myself to be an introvert, like naturally shy person and just being in a, you know, like let loose uh, and build on the connections you made earlier in the day was really nice. There's nothing quite like seeing a very important professor kind of dancing to really mm. break the ice, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I think as well, it's been so refreshing or, I don't know, exciting just to be, you know, face to face with people that you've been working with online for the last two, three years. Um, And it completely changes the nature of the relationship. You do become more like friends. I mean, I would consider us all friends um, after that experience. But yeah, it's very different to when you're sitting behind a screen. Yeah, I mean, there's so much interaction and networking that happens out with the sessions. Um, Whilst the sessions are really great and really important, I think I've learned more in discussions out with those sessions. Um, And yeah, another highlight has just been how great everyone has been. You know, you come to this, you're not really sure what to expect, but I think we're all, especially in in this industry, we're all kindred spirits to a certain degree. We're all working towards the same goal. And um, yeah, everyone's just been the, the whole vibe of the whole week's been really great. Great. And we've got a little bit of time left, so we'll just do maybe our one kind of takeaway for your research or something you're, you know, you think you'll remember when you go back and you're kind of working on your projects and things. I think the thing, one thing for me, that I mean, there's been so many, but um, really the importance of looking at sex differences. And that's been quite strong this year, which is fantastic to see because you know, it's something that, we've been talking about for a while but there was a whole session on it today there's been various talks lots of posters so thinking more about uh, the importance of studying men and women 
uh, in Alzheimer's disease and why we might be seeing those differences there, so different mechanisms uh, and not just kind of assuming that those differences don't matter. Mm. So I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to that in my research. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something we're very conscious of as well in um, the laboratories that I'm part of with the neuroscience um, studies that we run. Um, Adding to that, I would say we really need to think more inclusively about how we're um, researching with our participants, um, what uh, demographics we're missing from our data sets, uh, how we can include them, um, how we can better research with them, but also within our teams. Um, You need to have that diversity um, in order to promote that kind of research on the ground. Yeah, I think I was just going to echo exactly that again, and more from the scientific standpoint as well. Uh, There's been a real emphasis this week on increasing diversity within sample groups for looking at biomarkers, for example. Um, I think sort of current studies are very much weighted towards sort of older uh, white people who maybe have the time that uh, to that they're not sort of, um, they have the time and the availability to go to give a blood sample or whatever, and other people f- may struggle. Uh, they don't have the time to do so, or it's not an environment that they're aware of. So increasing mm-hmm. awareness and increasing the diversity of these groups is really important. And alongside that, um, I mean, I work with bits of kit that are really expensive and hard to get a hold of so improving access to these uh, bits of kit in lower middle income countries but then also thinking you know biomarker research a lot of our samples get stored at minus 80 degrees whilst we have lots of minus 80 freezers in our lab other labs may struggle to get this sort of thing so I'm thinking about ways to diversify the methodologies needed that is going to work to improve the research in countries with less access yeah yeah that's so important and on the diversity in participant samples as well I've had some really great conversations with machine learning people here because that's really important for those you know when we're training algorithms are they actually going to tell us about the more general population if we're only training them on a very narrow sample of people and so that's kind of a discussion that's quite hot in in those areas, so it's great to see that that's really being... It's something that my eyes have been opened this week, definitely. It's been really good. Yeah, brilliant. And, and Quasia, what will you be taking back with you or thinking about? Yeah, I think one big thing for me was the benefit of collaboration. And I think as a student, you feel you may get tunnel vision and feel like you need to do everything on your own. And I've noticed here through the talks that a lot of scientists collaborate and it brings something new to the story that they're telling when, you know, educating people about their research. And it gave me a few ideas of how I can collaborate with other scientists, even within my lab and how that can benefit me and benefit my research. So that's definitely something that was a big takeaway for me. That's a great takeaway. Mm -hmm. I'll do a a quick summary as as to what I'm hearing here. Invest in your people. Love it. The teams, your participants, communities, that's where we're at right now. Yeah. 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 Okay, so that's all we've got time for today, unfortunately. Um, As ever, you can find Twitter links and bios for today's guests on the Dementia Researcher website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. 
it's time to end today's podcast recording. I would like to thank our guests, Diana and Quasia and Richard. Thank you so much. I'd also like to thank all of you for tuning in to these special podcasts this week. Remember, you'll also find a massive amount of information on social media using the hashtag AAIC22. Thank you all for listening and thanks again to our wonderful guests. Thanks Thank for having you. us. That was great. Thanks for having us. Brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. <laughs>